host. You are listening to the Green Majority Radio here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, I'm going to be speaking. There we go. We may have my voice may have come out of the ether there. In case it did, uh, you're listening to the Green Majority. I'm Darren Kester, your host here on CIUT 89.5 FM, and uh, we've got uh, a couple of things today. One, we'll be speaking to a, a documentary filmmaker, Charles Wil- uh, Wilkinson, uh, who's going to be joining us in the second half to talk about the film. Uh, uh, Hadai Gwai, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, it's the third part in a series. Uh, we actually had uh, Charles on, oh God, I'm not even sure when, a while ago to talk about the uh, uh, the second film in this series. So this will be the third and final film uh, in the series. It is currently before Hot Docs right now. So if you're in the Toronto area and you have uh, availability to get down to Hot Docs, this film is going to be playing, I believe, tomorrow will be your last chance. Uh, for our out-of-town or delayed listeners, I do apologize, but uh, I'm sure you can probably find it uh, up online later. Uh, the film is uh, a feature documentary following uh, the uh, oil uh, other one that we had on, which was uh, Oil Sands Karaoke. Uh, and it's following uh, a bunch of characters uh, in the Haidai uh, uh, Nation, uh, some uh, activists that were there, and, and uh, uh, including Severin Suzuki, actually, uh, and following around basically an, an indigenous attempt to uh, ward off the the corporate uh, corporatization of their land and, and influence upon their their way of life. Uh, I'm very interested to have that uh, conversation, but it will have to wait because first we have the uh, the reigning champion title belt holder for most ever <coughs> visits here on the Green Majority, Tim Nash. Welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for having me. So we've had you uh, come in today. Uh, uh, you caught my my hurried and uh, in inaccurate tweet. I had tweeted out uh, in, <laughs> in preface here that you were that we were celebrating two point two two trillion dollars. That is incorrect by almost uh, three times. Correct. It is six point two two trillion dollars in investment in the green economy. And I think uh, there, there's a number of things that sort of casual uh, listener will need to know to be able to put that into context. Sure. Um, so why don't we start with? What that actually means? What are you measuring? What is six point two two trillion line up to? Uh, sure. So my uh, the goal of this project, which uh, uh, I've been running now since about twenty ten, is to measure private investments in the global green economy. So this isn't consumption. I'm not talking about people buying organic food. I'm not talking about people, uh, you know, buying uh, uh, fair trade things. Instead, we're talking about investments, which often are viewed as capital expenditures. So these are major infrastructure projects, including um, uh, all kinds of renewable energy projects that are, you know, major wind farms, solar farms, etc. Looking at uh, things in energy efficiency, like uh, building up the smart grid and building a lot of that uh, energy efficiency. Efficiency, um, the the sort of technology. So when companies are investing in energy efficiency, um, as well looking at green construction, uh, things like water infrastructure. For the first time, uh, we've included a new category called life systems, and that does include water, since water is sort of the the source of all life. But it also, uh, for the first time, includes uh, aspects of human capital, which I'm really excited about because I think that it's really important when we talk about the green economy to understand that humans are a big part of of the green economy. So for the first time, we've included uh, investments in e-learning technologies, uh, which I think is really kind of revolutionizing the ability for people to access education. So, uh, so really, these are these are investments. So, these are going to be um, uh, uh, all kinds of different uh, large scale investments in the green economy. And our total six point two two trillion is an aggregate that goes back all the way to two thousand seven. 
And really, when we set out to um, uh, to start counting, our goal was to hit 10 trillion by 2020. Uh, based on the best information available at that time, we figured if we could see $10 trillion of investments by 2020, that that would kickstart this global transition to a green economy. And I'm happy to report that we are well on our way. We are ahead of schedule, that the green economy is booming right now uh, towards that goal of $10 trillion. It was uh, a phrase, I believe I'm probably badly paraphrasing you, but it's been expressed on this program before, the sort of the, the sentiment that, that this sort of, you know, clean tech as a, as a general sort of just category uh, was something akin to a dam about to break in that it was sort of a, a race where nobody had sort of heard the official start gun yet. So people have been sort of creeping up on the start line and looking around at their, their, their you know, competitive businesses and their field. And then all of a sudden, as soon as it sort of turned out, you know, as soon as it was clear to the, the market, quote unquote, that this is where the future was, that it was just it was just going to be a sprint all of a sudden and, and that the dam would break. Is, is this what we're seeing right now? Uh, it's getting there. It's getting there. Um, I think that there's still in, uh, in the investment world, there is still a negative bias towards things green. Uh, it was really interesting. I was reading a fair bit about the company Transalta. I don't know if you guys know Transalta, but huge uh, utility in Alberta. Uh, so large coal uh, burning, you know, utility producing electricity. And they had these uh, uh, ma- had made these massive investments in wind farms that the market just simply wasn't valuing. That their investors just really seemed to not care about and wasn't attributing it proper value. And so they actually spun that off into a separate company called Transalta Renewables. Mm. And in doing so, they're now capturing better value for those assets because people like myself and my clients who want to invest in renewable energy, who actually have a positive bias towards these things, are, are um, uh, you know, looking at Transalta Renewables as a much more attractive investment than uh, just the simple uh, Transalta company. So I'm still, I'm not, I don't think the dam has necessarily burst yet. Uh, what I would say is that it's filling very, very rapidly. Um, you know, I used to joke with some friends about this idea of a green bubble that, you know, at some point we we're going to have this clean tech bubble akin to the tech bubble, you know, where things were going to be wildly overvalued and, you know, it was just going to be this, this huge and we're not there. Um, but I am starting to get. Uh, some of that excitement, some of that sentiment. I'm getting questions and, and inquiries from people that, you know, I would have thought never to be interested in the green economy that are now looking at the growth rates, that are now looking at the return on investment from uh, some of these companies and are saying, wow, I want a piece of that. So let's, uh, before we go any further into what those numbers mean, let's let's put it into context a little bit. You also sure. uh, have been comparing to what you're referring to as the brown economy, which are the, yeah. the traditional or, or dirty economy. So let's let's put that number into context. $6.22 yeah. $6. under green and compared to what? Trillion. 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 Yes. You're going to be correcting <laughs> Order of magnitudes. Math is hard. <laughs> and so... Uh, <laughs> And so it's, uh, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, so yeah, this is a new concept I've come up with where, you know, I'm really trying to put that 6.22 trillion number into context. Uh, we talk a lot about the green economy. So the brown economy, I'm looking at sort of the, the same capital expenditures, but in, uh, oil, gas, and, uh, and fossil fuels, essentially. And so I was trying to come up with a, a number for that. And the best number I could found was the International Energy Agency, uh, looked at the figures for 2014, uh, in their global report, and I believe they had $1.1 trillion. Uh, Now, that would be uh, compared to, in 2014, I believe my aggregate was close to about $800 billion in the one year for the green economy. So we're not there yet. 
there is still more investment in uh, the brown economy, the sort of dirty fossil fuel economy, than there is in the clean green economy. Uh, however, I, I believe, I think, that this year, 2015, we will see that, uh, uh, that shift. Uh, part, partially because investors are so willing to invest in the green economy. Uh, they're so now all of a sudden com- green companies can raise uh, money through green bonds like they've never been able to before. And at the same time, with the fall of the price of oil, we're seeing capital expenditure investments uh, completely collapse. Uh, you know, projects in, in the oil sands that are getting canceled, uh, all kinds of different uh, uh, investments and, and projects that were ready to go in terms of uh, um, exploring new fossil fuel reserves are now being shelved. So it really wouldn't surprise me if this is the first year where we actually see private investments in green infrastructure uh, outstrip private investments in what I'll call brown infrastructure. So that which brings me to your your recent uh, opportunity to be on Amanda Lang's show. Um, do you uh, first of all, if you wanted to sort of, uh, you, I believe you were on there essentially summarizing the, the same report. Correct. Uh, do you want to uh, just maybe share a bit about your experience on on air, but also with the understanding that do you think it means anything that you were on Amanda Lang? Like, does that itself is that some sort of benchmark? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think that it's uh, for me. I'm I'm really happy to be able to reach out to diverse audience. You know, I always joke that I'm either the only economist in a room full of hippies, or I'm the only hippie in a room full of economists. Uh, I'll let you guys judge which one I am today. <laughs> um, but obviously, going on on the exchange there, uh, you know, that the environmental perspective is not well represented on that show very often. So for me, it was, uh, you know, it's, it was an opportunity to be able to reach an audience that I normally wouldn't be able to reach. Uh, the fact that I can come in and talk about uh, investments to the tune of $6.2 trillion I think is really what's uh, allowing that opportunity. That for the longest time, the uh, you know Bay Street and the traditional investment industry really saw what I was doing as a niche space where there just simply wasn't a lot of action. Now, all of a sudden, like I said, I'm getting interest from parties that I never thought would have been interested in this space before. That people are really recognizing this as uh, you know potentially the next big thing uh, when it comes to uh, a, a sector investment approach. So one of the other aspects I think that's that's something that it's hard if not, I mean you tell me, hard if not impossible to calculate um, is the relative impact of, you know, being I would phrase it, you know, again, disagree if you wish, but uh, I would phrase it as being actively repressed by powerful interests. Uh, For instance, you know, the Harper government has bought into oil and that means in many cases, you know, making it less difficult than he could, you know, to be as favorable as I possibly sure. could, as fair as I could, to be uh, to being it, making it a less favorable environment for this sort of industry. Right. What effect would it, what effect is that on those numbers, do you think? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, when you look at the impact of government regulation on these sectors, it's huge. Uh, this is still, even though it is, you know, trillions of dollars, uh, this, a lot of these green sectors would still be called uh, nascent or infant industries. So they really are in a growth phase. 
Um, as such, uh, government regulation plays a huge role. Um, you know, we saw the impact of a feed-in tariff here in Ontario, which, you know, created so many jobs in the renewable en- energy industry here in Ontario. People can argue whether those subsidies are good policy or not, but from an economic impact, it obviously had a very positive um, uh, uh, impact there. Now, um, what's interesting to me is we are starting to see a leveling of the playing field, specifically around carbon pricing. And this, to me, is the great leveler because I always look at at sort of the cost-benefit analysis. And, you know, the benefits of cheap energy and, and from fossil fuels have been tremendous. They've uh, provided for a, a lot of really positive things, but they've come at a very serious cost, uh, i.e. climate change and carbon emissions, that has never been put into the business model. It's never been calculated. It's never been part of that. So as we get more carbon pricing, uh, what that's going to do is really allow these technologies to compete on a much more even playing field. Um, you know, it was interesting with, with Amanda Lang, but she brought up the, the idea of subsidies and that, well, are these green industries being subsidized? And, you know, it was a very easy retort for me to say that the fossil fuel industry, uh, I believe, receives six times the level of subsidies globally that uh, green technologies do. So it's still very much an uneven playing field. Uh, it still very much is is tilted towards uh, fossil fuels and the interest there. They obviously have a lot more money and a lot more political clout, uh, but the, that only changes the fundamental economics for so long. They can only sort of delay the inevitable in my mind that as the price of renewable energy continues to decrease – as people see the benefits and, and, and the, um, uh, uh, the efficiency gains from energy efficiency, green buildings, and those technologies that are going to save them a lot of money, uh, for me, it's just becoming increasingly a no-brainer decision for companies and individuals, for that matter, to invest within this sector. So really, you know, the power dynamic, it's there it's it's uh, alive and well. There's still definitely people trying to sort of keep the sector down. There's still definitely a negative bias from conservative-minded people against the green economy. Um, but really what's exciting to me is that uh, I see that dam starting to burst a little bit, that as people like Warren Buffett um, you know, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, uh, as economists like uh, um, uh, uh, Sachs, Jeffrey Sachs and um, uh, Car- Mark Carney in England, that, you know, as they step to the plate on this, really, I think that the, the interests, the political interests and the economic interests that are trying to keep the green economy down are, are really, uh, really starting to crumble. So one of the other uh, sort of aspects there was the the, the sort of willingness and, and readiness of people to induce that. So we, we've been talking about sort of market uh, influences here. Your specialty, though, is in, in personal finance. Uh, and Correct. You, so let's talk about this word. How does it break down for the individual? Does, does Do these changes in investments and increasements in investments change the value for an individual person who might want to, you know, consider, you know, cleaning up their portfolio? Yeah, I mean, it can. Uh, the sad part is that most Canadians have simply kind of handed off their money to their, uh, um, you know, to just to a mutual fund dealer. And it's just very much going with the status quo. And it's this trend is not being captured by the traditional investment industry just yet. And part of that is because there's a bias towards larger cap companies, which, you know, green companies are generally not. Um, but really, from my perspective, uh, and the business that I've built is helping people invest their own money online. And now all of a sudden, we're seeing tremendous opportunities, where it's just it, the, the sheer 
your options that are available to investors now are fantastic. And whether you want to go higher risk and invest in companies like uh, Tesla and First Solar through a green energy ETF, or whether you want to stay low risk and invest in some of these yield codes like the um, uh, Transalta Renewables that I would mentioned, or uh, Brookfield Renewable Energy, which you're basically investing in uh, infrastructure projects that are up and running, that are generating income every single month, and that investors can capture a piece of that revenue of those profits through a nice fat dividend. You know, it's the type of thing where there are more green investment options now than there ever were before. Um, but really, it does require uh, people to be able to take charge of their own personal investments. Uh, and whether that's going to their advisor and saying, I want this and sort of demanding it and pushing for it, or whether it's just simply taking control by investing their own money online. Um, but it still does require, I would say, uh, an extra step on behalf of the individual investor. But the options that are available and the, the uh, spectrum of options that are available for all different types of investors is better than it's ever been. All right. We're speaking to Tim Nash, who the sustainable investor and uh, a great source to, to learn about the uh, renewable energy and clean industry industry. Lots of information on his website. And we'll put the post with the most recent uh, transition scoreboard uh, on today's show post. So if you're interested in getting an easy link to that, just go to greenmajority.ca after the show. Uh, Tim, before we let you go and go to our first music break, I have one final question for you there, which is that we started with you saying that we weren't quite at that dam breaking spot yet, but that you, you're seeing progress that, that yeah. makes it hopeful that we're going to get there soon. Uh, I've been seeing headlines recently about, uh, you know, if you took away uh, the the uh, uh, subsidy that fossil fuels getting that that some solar panels are, are already reaching parity. Yeah. Uh, I, I read an article yesterday that we're actually going to bring up a little bit later in the program about uh, how there's been space uh, eroded now in the Republican side in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, for taking action on climate because now they see it as so inevitable that uh, that many uh, Republican lawmakers are saying we better uh, uh, create a market solution before the uh, Democrats are successful in making a regulatory solution, right. which is a really interesting uh, sort of way to look at it. So there seems to be a number of indicators across the board. Yes. For you, if I can ask you to speculate, what what for you are you looking for as some of those key things that we, that we are about to get there? What are, what are your eyes on right now to, to wait for to, to see the change? Uh, sure. So as far as I'm on a technological side, I think that the gap um, that we have the, on, on technology is batteries and storage. So with Tesla's announcement yesterday uh, of this, um, uh, uh, this home battery that they've got, uh, as soon as that storage gets cheap enough for us to be able to uh, um, store energy and be able to produce ample energy from the sun and then store it in our home, that's, I would say, the technological tipping point. And then what I would say is that the really the tipping point that I'm interested in is the psychological one. And really when we do have people, when we do have, uh, you know, Republicans speaking about this, when we do have um, uh, sort of the uh, right-leaning investors speaking about this, um, that, that to me is really the it's, – it's going to be a psychological tipping point and a behavioral tipping point, probably more so than a, um, a, a technological one. So for me, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit spoiled. I spent some time in Sweden, and it was fascinating while, while I was there. Uh, there was a small town, uh, Vekwa, and they had agreed uh, – all the parties um, had agreed that they should go fossil fuel free. Um, by a certain date. And now all of a sudden they were just arguing about what's the best way to get there. You know, sort of the regulation versus that free market solution. So for me, what I, what I imagine, what I look forward to 
is uh, an election where every single party has acknowledged that climate change is an issue and that we need to support this green economy. And instead of should we or shouldn't we, the argument turns to what's the best way of doing that. That to me, when the conversation can shift from this sort of deniers versus supporters language to this more sort of free market versus regulation conversation, I'm going to be absolutely thrilled because then the, the debate becomes what's the, what's the best way of achieving this future, not, you know, is it going to happen or not? All right. Tim Nash, The Sustainable Economist, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So we're going to go to a music break here in just one second. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM or one of our wonderful community radio partners across the country. Speaking of which, Stefan, I would like to uh, uh, let you know that we're actually welcoming two new stations this week. Ooh, wow. Uh, CFRC in Kingston uh, will be uh, hearing us right now for their first time, uh, as well, Caper uh, Radio um, in uh, Caper Island Internet Radio for the time being. They're working on their CRTC license. Uh, will also be joining us. So welcome both uh, to those broadcasters. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, I think you picked a good show to, to start us. It's always a pleasure to have Tim Nash in the studio. Final thing I will mention as well is that we also, uh, there's a bonus extended uh, episode that actually has Tim on it, which you can learn about how you can access that as well at greenmajority.ca. We're going to come back in just a moment and speak to Charles uh, Wilkinson about the film Hadai Gwai on the Edge of the World. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I went out on the street today. The Canadian dream was as far away as it's ever been. As it's ever been I went out on the street today The Canadian dream was as far away As it's ever been As it's ever been
All right, and we are back here on the Green Majority, CIUT 89.5 FM. I am now sitting in studio with Charles Wilkinson about the film Heda Gwai, On the Edge of the World. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Charles. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So uh, we had you in uh, before. I had actually, uh, I'll be completely honest with you, I, I had actually forgotten uh, that we had had you on. I think it was a little while ago. Um, but I now, after we were doing some uh, research for the film, I now remember having had you on. Uh, so I'm happy to have you back now to talk about the, the third film in, in this series. Uh, I think probably for context, uh, as um, some of our listeners probably didn't hear that interview from a while ago, uh, this is the fir- third film in the series. So would you, before maybe, maybe we dig into that too much, do you want to tell us just about the sort of series in general and about the previous two films. Sure, I, I'd be glad to. The first film. Oh, maybe I should. I should. I should preface this maybe by by saying that that there's all different kinds of, of uh, quote unquote environmental films, and the films that we do fill a kind of an unusual niche in the in the genre. And that is, is that our target audience is not what you'd refer to as the converted. Like they're not about putting it to the man necessarily. They they generally tend to attract people who wouldn't describe themselves in any way as environmentalists. People who probably drive to the screenings in their Lexus or something. And these are people who haven't who'd never go to a demonstration, for example. And they'll frequently come out of the out of the screening thinking thoughts they've never thought before. That's kind of who I like to to appeal to, people who really just have not been real thoughtful about about the impact that we have individually and, and as a group on the environment. So the first picture in the in what turned into being a, a trilogy was called Peace Out. And it basically asked the question, are we tearing up our backyard for energy? It focused on the northeast of BC and the northwest of uh, Alberta, but it really applies to the northern ring around the entire globe. The answer was, boy, are we ever. I mean, there's just it's inescapable. What, no matter whether you're a hippie or a complete redneck, it, you were doing it, right? Um, the second film in the in the trilogy is Oil Sands Karaoke, and that one asks the question: Well, if it's so obvious uh, how much damage we're doing, irreparable damage, really, in the short term, uh, why aren't we doing anything about it? Because so many people seem to care. And the answer that that film gives is 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 that we're all pretty focused on paying the rent. You know, just paying the bills and just getting through our day. And so saving the world kind of falls down to number 10 on the on the to-do list for most people. We've got a karaoke contest to win, damn it. And so the, the third film, we really didn't want to leave it on a sour note because it's so easy to be hopeless. And how many people do you know who go, you know what, this is so challenging, it's so hopeless, just screw it. Let's just party on because there's nothing we can do about it. It's all going to go to hell anyway, so let's have a good time. And instinctively, I, I don't... I react against that. That it seems like there's where there's life, there's hope, right? So we wanted to do something more hopeful, and that's what hi, it's Haida Gwai. It's because it's the Haida. No, it's okay. I've heard people called Haida Gwai, right? So you're doing good. I got I got half. Right. You got half of it right. Uh, <laughs> the the Haida Gwai film. I mean, it's about a place where people don't just give lip service to the ideas of sustainability and corporate over control and and things like this. They actually do something about it. They've been engaged in trying to seize control of their own territories ever since the first sailing ship showed up 200 years ago. And they almost were completely wiped out. But through um, an incredibly stirring story and a ton of just bravery and heroism, they fought back and they've joined forces with, you know, a group of extremely progressive non-natives to create this very progressive and uh, becoming sustainable paradise off the west coast of North America. 
So one of the people uh, featured in your film is actually uh, David Suzuki's daughter, Severn. Uh, talk a little bit about her contribution. Severn is amazing. Uh, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but Severn is Haida, which is to say, and this is really cool, I find, that, that when you go to Haida Gwaii, if you choose to settle there and if you marry someone who's in, 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 who is Haida, a natural-born Haida person, you become Haida. They're the most incredibly inclusive, uh, distinct racial group I've ever seen. You want to become Haida, go there and become a Haida. So they don't really distinguish that much between Haida Gwaiians and, 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 you know, like visitors, uh, imports and people who are born there. Uh, her father, David Suzuki, went to Haida Gwaii a lot during the early days of the protests against the insane overlogging of the place. And he really helped a lot with that. He lent his name to it and he was one of the really strong voices. Well, he took his family along with him and they all got, kind of grew up on Haida Gwaii. And Severn got to stay with, with one family in particular. And, and she met the young man who, who was the young man of the family and, and, uh, she fell in love. They got married. They got two kids. And so Severn is Haida, right? Her kids, Speak Haida. She writes books in the Haida language, and she's just altogether delightful. And she's absolutely she's typical of the Haida women. They are so fierce. They are such warriors, but they have a great sense of humor about it. So the uh, the tagline on the poster is uh, is here is maybe we're not totally screwed. Uh, do you want to maybe suss that out a little bit? What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, so the, just what I was saying, you know, so many people feel like we are totally screwed, and if you look at the power of the of the corporations that make most of the decisions that dominate our lives, it's mostly pretty hard to imagine us turning it around. And I, I must say that the most educated people that I know who study political science for a living say that it's almost entirely unlikely that our governments will have the power to turn things around. And I'm talking about climate change. I'm talking about um, overpopulation. Governments are so in the thrall of the corporations, their corporate masters who pay for the elections, that it's almost entirely unlikely that they'll be able to turn it around in time. But individuals seem to be able to. And we're seeing examples of individual action all over the place that leads to group action, which makes stuff better. We're seeing stuff like that in Quebec and Ontario this last week with the accord that they've struck, regardless of what happens in Ottawa, on, on you know, limiting carbon emissions. And when you see the example, the model that's been created by that, these incredibly progressive and thoughtful, classy and amazing people in Haida Gwaii, you realize that it is possible. You don't have to go to an island. You don't have to be someplace that's as pristine as, as Haida Gwaii. You know, like, you know, Severn says in the movie, everywhere we go, nature is there. I mean, there's grass growing right outside. I can see it right now. I can see trees right outside the, the, the windows of this building. So, you know, there is hope. And maybe we're not totally screwed. I mean, people who, who study this stuff will tell you quite plainly, like I say in the book that I just handed you and would like to shamelessly promote, that, <laughs> yes. If you could see in the studio, I'm, I'm Vanna Whiting it right now. There you go. Um, <laughs> it, I lost my train of thought, except it's such an amazing book. That's why. I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but seven smile. No, uh, but I wanted. I mean, one of the one of the sort of key things that jumped out uh, for me here, uh, the description. First of all, I mean, the 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 description of the uh, of what it looks like is, is something I you know I, I need to see it. But I mean, it sounds beautiful. Um, but the, one of the things that really jumped out at me was that was that theme of the sort of corporatism, and it's something that when we're talking about political stories and quote unquote left and quote unquote right. That really sort of mystifies me because it's one of those things where sort of instinctively people will be like, yeah, corporations have too much power. Most most people, even if they're not concerned about it to the point that they want to you know, vote to change it or any of that stuff, most people just off the cuff will agree with that from yep. any part of the political spectrum. Yep. 
And so it's sort of it seems mystif- it seems completely mystifying to me that you know people will do that and then in the same breath be like no 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 climate change is a hoax those poor oil companies are just trying to make a buck and be like yeah. what yeah. It, it, how much of this do you think is just just pure unadulterated cognitive dissonance oh most of it but I think we have to be really careful to to appraise how big the corporate the, sorry the hoax of climate change how big that argument is. People who know, people who study these things say that the vast majority of people in the world, never mind just Canada, understand that we're in deep trouble. But the loudest voices are the ones with the most money in their pockets and they buy the airtime. I mean, when you see the ads for, you know, the pipelines and the coal companies and that, you know, they have glowing taglines like um, committed to responsible. No, my favorite one, it's in the book, um, committed to fresh thinking on responsibly extracting the energy we need to drive our lives. And if you parse that out... They're committed to creative thinking. Now, imagine if I owed you money and told you that I'm committed to creatively thinking about how to, how to pay you back. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, Kevin Farmer wanted to jump in. Oh, yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, well, I was just thinking, you know, with the, down, with the collapse of the uh, price of oil and all of the projects that have been stalled in the tar sands, um, really all of those companies – uh, just they should be all over those land reclamations they've been promising. That was part of the deal all along, right? That they were supposed to reclaim that land, rehabilitate that land when they were done with it. And really, now just seems like the perfect opportunity, right? There's, uh, there's, you know, there can't be an army of uh, of people out there extracting the oil right now because the price is bottomed out. Where's the army of horticulturalists and uh, and landscapers uh, restoring the Garden of Eden? They they uh, reclaimed at least one percent, Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah come on, man. Actually, I don't even think it's one percent. I think it's one kilometer, one square kilometer, and it's the one they use as the backdrop for their ads, showing what a great job they're doing reclaiming that land. But seriously, look at those pictures. What they've done is they've taken the money and run. F you very much, Alberta. Mm-hmm. Uh, we and <laughs> we had a joke earlier. Tim made a joke earlier about math is hard, and Jim Prentice might be discovering electoral math is hard. But this math is not hard. They've 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 uh, they've obliterated in this post-apocalyptic hellscape. You know, several hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of square kilometers. It's the size of, of Florida, yeah. Yeah, it's massive. It's just unbelievably huge. Neil Young got a lot of criticism for saying it looked like a. Uh, he chose the wrong image. Hiroshima, yeah. Yeah, he said it looked like Hiroshima, and I think people... It was more like Nagasaki, really. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I, think, I think people got distracted by the human, the human catastrophe that's implicit in that, but, but he's wrong in, th- in supposing that it looks like an atomic bomb went off there. It looks like several went off there. It looks like they're still going off there. Yeah. And the fact that anyone even supposes that land can be reclaimed, uh, I mean, that struck me as a fiction from the get-go. It strikes me as a fiction now, seeing it. But where are they? Where are they reclaiming that land? Well, They've taken the money and run. It, no, it's 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 a great it's a great question. And when we did the oil sands picture, we 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 got actually access from the two oldest you know companies there, uh, Syncrude and Suncor. We got to hang out with some of their you know the environmental biologists that they have, and they've got you know a relatively you know small army of these people on staff. Most of them for greenwashing, but some of them are doing some really really serious and thoughtful work, and they they really take their work seriously. I have to admit that they are. But you know, I had a conversation with one of them, and I I, I was. We, we were getting along great, and I just said, you know, the public doesn't trust you guys at all. We say things like what you just said, that, you know, these guys are, are not committed at all to honoring their promises to reclaiming the land. And she, you know, said, oh, come on, like this is this gain and that gain. And I said, hang on, hang on. The history of mining in North America and the world is that when the mining companies are finished extracting the profit, they cut and run and leave the mess for us to clean up. Now, I believe that you believe that your company is going to do differently, and it may be true that you're going to, but if you do, it will be 
one of the first times in history. So please excuse our skepticism. It's up to you guys to prove that we're wrong. It's not up to us to follow you in blind faith. And that's what we're being asked to do. They say that they're going to clean it up. They say they're going to reclaim it. Well, show me the money. Just and, show me. And now would be the time. Now would be. There, would, right. there should be <laughs> legions of yeah. people out there saying, oh, look, the trucks, you know, we're not running the trucks. We're yeah. not running the in-situ extraction. You know, look at all this downtime we've got on our yeah. hands, these these billions of dollars in profits we've got, yeah. like burning a hole in our pocket. We uh, should just be all over this like ants. No, You're, But, you know, the interesting thing, the thing about this, and this is a fascinating discussion, it, we were just talking about it this morning in, in, in real depth, is that the price of oil has plummeted. Everybody is saying that the only thing that's preventing Canada from joining the, la- the family of nations that's committed to reducing our greenhouse gas emissions, the only thing is the Alberta, the Athabasca tar sands. And they said, so if we stop that, of course, we would be able to meet our commitments. But that's not going to happen. They say that as if that's a given, that we can't do anything about the, the tar sands, when in reality, we're going to. Like, newsflash, we're going to stop taking oil out of the tar sands. It's going to happen. It might, might not be this year and it might not be next year. But sooner or later, that project, they're either going to find a way to get that carbon, that, that, that energy out of that resource without putting carbon in the atmosphere, or they're going to be shut down. So I would think that a top priority, along with cleaning up the mess that they've created, is to do everything possible to try and find a way to get the, the wonderful energy out of that source without destroying you know, our grandchildren. That should be job one, and it isn't. And so... Uh, the one of the, one of the things that sort of really strikes me about uh, about that sort of stuff is, you know, is, is you know there's, the room has been you know filled here with furious head nodding, but you can go a lot of places and and I can play that clip of what you just said, yeah. and and you know you'd have a range of responses anywhere from you know you have no idea what you're talking about to oh you're just biased and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So you, you, we started the the interview with you sort of outlining that your target market is those folks. Yes. So you know we're having a sort of you know among peers sort of conversation here. Yeah. But how would you phrase this, or 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 better yet, maybe how did you use the frame uh, the the film to phrase this for that audience? Well, uh, thank you for bringing it back to that, actually, that is kind of the point of, of Haida Gwaii on, on the edge of the world. And I think that's why it's getting the response, that, which has been pretty wonderful here, that, that it's gotten. And that is, is that instead of wagging a finger at, you know, the evil corporations and so forth, while acknowledging that corporations have done some terrible damage in that, in that land, what the, the people of Haida Gwaii are basically giving us a, a model for is that when you turn away from that industrial global model to one that's more community-based, which you could do here in Toronto, you could do anywhere in the world, life is better. It's just better. Like the corporate global model, that ain't the way to have fun, son. It just isn't. It, the, <laughs> the people in Haida Gwaii have so much damn fun. You can just see that they just, they chill. Like they don't have fancy new cars. Like I'm shocked here in Toronto by how many like Ferraris and Lambos and all that. You'd walk anywhere and there's all these expensive cars. And it wasn't like that here even 10 years ago. You go to Haida Gwaii and I swear to God, there's one Porsche on the entire island and it belongs to a guy who was diagnosed with a terminal illness. So went out and bought a Porsche and then he found out the diagnosis was wrong. So he feels like an idiot. Isn't that great? (laughs) (laughs) You could convert it to electric, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, Uh, you could. Yeah, Eldon Musk is in the wings. uh, I think we're, uh, why don't we, we'll go to our second final music break here. If you'd you'd like to stick around, we're going to switch over to talk about some some news items in a minute here. But I'll give uh, give Kevin the final word here before we go to our music break. I just want to pick up on something William said uh, about the the history of mining companies. And uh, uh, recently, I was plugging recently a, a, a piece of investigative journalism by um, 16 by 9 called Contamination Nation. I just, rec- I just recommend everyone, uh, it's, it's, it's on the global website, uh, just uh, 16 by 9 Contamination Nation. It's about a 15 or 20 minute segment 
About exactly that, a mine here in Canada that has left behind uh, billions of tons of arsenic trioxide uh, that we're going to, it's going to cost us a billion dollars to impound this stuff in the first place. We're on the hook now for $2 million a year in perpetuity to keep it impounded. That's about one of 20,000 mining sites, 20,000 mining sites in Canada alone. And this is a, a first world country that has some level of environmental uh, and human rights regulations. Yeah. So you just multiply that by what goes on around the world. and It uh, has some regulations because some of the CEOs live here. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. But yeah. you know what? You, you, you're you absolutely right. Come see the movie, The Hyde Aquarium. And go movie. see the movie too. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> you'll see. I'm going to see it, by the way. I'm those guys have figured out a way to stop the, those corporations, those very corporations in their tracks. They, f- they found the secret. Mm. So we're gonna we'll come back and I'll, and I'll get you to flesh that a little bit more and sure. we'll, uh, I've got a couple news items I here want uh, to get through as well. But uh, we've been speaking to Charles Wilkinson about Haida Gwaii uh, on the edge of the world, which is uh, uh, at Hot Docs right now. If you're in the Toronto area or can get down, we've missed two screenings, but there is one final one tomorrow at eight fifteen p.m. Oh, is there two? Yeah, they had to put on another one. Oh, amazing! Turning people away. Yeah, that's on Sunday at seven o'clock right here at Hard House. So thank you for saving the environment by not reprinting your flyers after they added another screening. <laughs> so two more screenings uh, you'll find links to where you can find tickets as well on the website after the show. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to go to our second and final music break. We'll be right back here on The Green Majority. Yeah. 
right. We are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Before we continue with our lively discussion and I raise what I think is an incredibly interesting poll from a news item I found yesterday. Edward, our new tech, is going to tell Hi, us what uh, we've been listening we to today. Sam Roberts' uh, Canadian Dream, followed by uh, Tragically Hip Poets. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, for doing our tech today and uh, also for picking one of the two songs. The first song was actually an audience request. So if you have a, uh, a band that you would like to hear, we prefer Canadian as we try and keep all the music on this show Canadian. But if you have a song you'd like to request, you can uh, tweet at us at Green Majority. You can go to our uh, Facebook page or you can just go to the greenmajority.ca and use contact us and just email me whatever you wish. Uh, Carrier Pigeon, our office address is listed there as well. So you can use Carrier Pigeon, whatever you prefer. But if you hear, have a song you'd like to hear, especially if it's, uh, you know, don't be shy. If you have like a friend's uh, band or something like that, local music, somebody that's not signed, something you you made on a on a on a piano when you were you know late at three in the clock in the morning, whatever, uh, go ahead and send it to us. I can't promise I'll play it, but I will consider it. Uh, so <laughs> I'm just gonna play it. It's like I'm just gonna give you the chopsticks. I'm gonna send you chopsticks. There. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna bring in one of those little uh, keyboards they have for like infants with like six keys, and then Stefan's just gonna acapella all of our music breaks. Unless you send in a song request. <laughs> that's an that's a, that's a evil threat. Because <laughs> you would do it. Oh, yeah. Um, so the, the news item, and uh, uh, Charles has uh, been gracious enough to stick around with us here for the final few minutes. So we'll, we'll get uh, sort of maybe the whole quote-unquote panel here to comment on this. Uh, the, the article is outlining a uh, Naskanen. I'm going to go ahead and say that's Naskanen. Naskanen Center uh, posted a quote-unquote very intriguing poll of this spring of oil and gas industry insiders. So this is oil and gas uh, employees to some uh, degree or people involved with the industry uh, ranking their concern as to a few questions. One of them is global warming happening. Uh, and if you combine, yes, I'm extremely sure, yes, I'm very sure, and yes, I'm somewhat sure, we've got about just shy of 70%. And uh, less than 15% says no, and then everything else is kind of mushy middle. Um, so these are people who directly work with or for oil companies. So we'll start, does anybody think that this is a, I mean, we don't have a relative number, so we don't know if this has been going up or going down. But do, is, this, is this something that you hear and go, yay, or does this not surprise you, or, or what was your impact? Let's start with Stefan. Uh, so I guess it doesn't overtly surprise me, uh, mainly because I just like to think people aren't Incredibly unintelligent, uh, and therefore, you know, then they, they they don't they don't allow their their, their biases to impact uh, impact at least their their actual understanding of the world. Um, I imagine if this was an open poll, or if this was what's funny about that, of course, I would have, what my comment to them is is that I think if it was a non anonymous or if it was a more open poll, the numbers would be dramatically lower because the fun thing about this fact, of course, is. Oh, there's seventy percent of people who understand climate change is happening, and yet they are still doing it. Yeah, uh, you know, it's like if you under, like, I'm sure, like if you went around seventy percent of gun manufacturers asking them if bullets kill people, and they were like, <laughs> "Yeah, bullets kill people." <laughs> it doesn't change the fact that bullets are still killing people. Like it's it's sort of like people kill kill people, <laughs> Stefan, not bullets. <laughs> uh, like you know, it's it, it, I I would. Uh, you can't fault someone for needing a job and needing to live, but it's a sort of like the percentage of people who work for this caring about it is somewhat meaningless uh, in, unless they're actually working to, you know, at least mitigate some of the emissions that these actions are having. All right. So I'm going to add another data point and then we're going to go to Kevin. So you uh, you heard the first stat. Uh, which is much towards the direction of, uh, yes, climate change is real, and uh, anywhere from I'm pretty sure to I'm very, very sure uh, is, is the overwhelming majority, over about two-thirds or more. 
Question number two, same poll. So whether or not it was open, uh, this is the same group of people. Question two, assuming global warming is happening, what do you think it is? 56.9% says caused mostly by human activities. 35% says caused mostly by natural changes. And then you don't want to know where it goes from there. <laughs> Does that change your feeling? So the, the a lion's share of people think it's real, but about over a third of uh, those same polled uh, of this oil industry uh, insider says it's caused by natural changes in the environment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which... Um. <laughs> Okay, I don't know. Which I, I just, I, I just find like personally, yeah. I find very confusing because it's like it's it's a weird way to split that information. Oh, it's real, but it's not us. Oh uh, yeah, okay. So you're, I'm so so thoroughly sick of that particular discussion. <laughs> um, we we the theory, the the hypothesis that burning fossil fuels would lead to global warming and climate change is over a hundred years old. It was first proposed in the late 1800s by Arrhenius Svarte, who was a genius. Um, and he did some actually, they were wrong, but weirdly accurate, <laughs> uh, back of the envelope calculations that said we're headed towards about a five or six degree rise in temperature if we burn fossil fuels. Weirdly, that's where we're headed right now. I don't know actually how he pulled that off because he had, you know, compared to the information we have today, he had nothing. But he had this testable hypothesis, a testable hypothesis uh, for people who wonder what that means. Um, it, and we've been testing that hypothesis and gathering data on that hypothesis now for over 100 years. And we have so much data and we have such an, such an enormously compelling explanation for that data that we have elevated this discussion to the status of a scientific theory. I hate to break it to you, people. There's no such thing as a scientific fact outside of things you can measure, observe, whatever. Those are the facts of science. The theories are a more exalted state statement. Yeah. <laughs> theories explain vast bodies of data, which, which is what science calls facts. It makes predictions. We have over 100 years of data on this. We have been testing this hypothesis for over 100 years. It has achieved really this, the status of theory, which sounds terrible to people in, in colloquial language, but it's a big deal in science. It's the theory of gravity. It's the atomic theory of matter. It explains a vast body of data in a compelling way. If people are still confused about this, I can't help you. <laughs> I've been at this for 20 years. If you're still confused... I've got nothing left. There's there's actually a, a website, just a theory. Uh, I don't know if it's .com, but it's just a theory. It's actually uh, targeted more for uh, folks, most of whom are you know coming from a, a fundamental religious point of view, but who deny uh, evolution. Oh, but I got to jump all over that. There was a, there was a HarperCon recently who was saying, just stop calling evolution a fact. Weirdly, he was correct. <laughs> it is not a fact. It is a theory that explains a vast volume of facts it is a theory that that explains compellingly this this astonishing body of facts and makes predictions from those facts and so weirdly he was right stop calling evolution a fact but he was right but wrong it isn't a fact it's a theory but in fact theory is better than fact if you're talking about science and not lingo and then out come the pundits on all the current affairs shows and I finally, honestly, I had to turn uh, power and politics off one night because I was going to break my head beating it against my death, desk. Is Will you people just please look up the definitions of fact, hypothesis, and theory before you have this discussion? I mean, is that too much to ask for this? 
It's not that hard. There are good articles about this on Wikipedia, people. It just isn't that hard. I mean, these people can't eat. I've been listening to Colin Carey trot out the same climate gibberish, the same (laughs) gibberish talking points on these shows for months and months and months now. And it seems they haven't dug up one freaking intern yet to fact check one of these points because we know he's going to say them. He says them every time. I can predict with 100% accuracy what Colin Carey is going to say on any show to any question. I just don't get the order right. But And yet, and to this date, no one has bothered to say, oh, since we know exactly what Colin Carey is going to say, let's just fact check this because we can debunk every single thing he's saying. And, and still, we couldn't drag up an intern to even look up the definitions of hypothesis, theory, and fact. And so they just... They piled on and and inadvertently dumbed the conversation down even further. Thank but, but, you very much. Right, so well, I, I'm going to redirect to Charles. If you just hang on for me for one second. Yeah, I need to catch my breath. No, I, I was going to say I, I was, was going to say I have a theory, uh, scientific <laughs> theory that if this is not solved soon, Kevin is going to blow a gasket. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'll, I'll let you get to what you wanted to say, but I want to I want to throw you the the last question in there as well. You can uh, you can address both. So we sure. started. Question one was uh, you know seven uh, over seventy percent of the indeciders uh, agree it's happening less than three percent actually deny it's happening Uh, but uh, 60 percent believe it's caused by human activity somehow 31 percent and leaving almost nothing left uh, thinks it's natural changes so here's the last thing that i found very interesting question three how serious is this problem 43 percent very serious and 32 percent very serious so Again, we're over 70% here of people who think it's serious. Even the people that, by definition, mathematically, number of those people think it's environment-caused, and they're still very concerned about it. I found that fascinating. I have mm-hmm. no idea. But we'll redirect to Charles now. Well, I actually know a ton of people who are executives and owners and huge shareholders in these corporations, these energy corporations. And I, I'm here to tell you that for the most part, they, they they come across as being about the same as we are, like really nice, kind guys who love their grandchildren. They really are. And they're all, one other, other aspect of their personalities that they all share is none of them want to go to jail. Not a single one that I've talked to wants to go to jail. So if we make, if we the people get up off our asses and go to meetings and carry signs and go to demonstrations and vote and force our politicians to rein in the corporations and create laws that say, if you don't clean up your mess, you're going to jail, they will clean up their mess. That is absolutely certain. However, if we if we rely on someone else to do it, like Homer Simpson always says, can't somebody else do it? Well, then these guys are going to do whatever they can get away with. And when you think about it, this is key. This is really a key statistic. Something like 95% of all of the state and and uh, uh, local elections in the United States are won by the candidate with the most money. Mm-hmm. We've got we've created and we're creating every day more laws that allow unfiltered money to pour into the coffers of political candidates, such that an honest one couldn't run without money. Could and we're seeing that play out in our, our federal politics right now. We need to do something about that. I think, you know, I rant and rave myself. I I, I inherited it from my dad um, about, you know, the evil corporations and, you know, the man and all that. I do. I I feel that stuff very strongly. But I also rant and rave about how how we're so lazy. We'd rather, you know, barbecue or go for a hike or something instead of doing the very hard work of going to meetings. Meetings are boring as hell. They are. There's always some idiot up there going on and on about how courageous they are doing this or that. But we have to do it. We have to go to that stuff because if we can't succeed in reigning in corporations, keeping in mind that corporations have the same power and the same status in law as an individual, 
but they're wholly devoted to making a profit in the short term. They can't do anything else. Legally so, obliged to. So they're, they're essentially terminators. That's what they are. And I'm, I'm not saying that, that they're inherently evil. I'm saying they're inherently without emotion. They are amoral. And it's up to us. And we can do it. And, we, and when we try, Haida Gwaii is a classic example. They brought those guys to heal. All right, so uh, we will. Uh, we have time maybe for a uh, like, super quick uh, wrap-up comment. If, uh, well, then let Stefan go first because okay. I'm dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> well, how quick it is is – You have 30 seconds. 30 seconds on everything? Yeah. On the meaning of life. Uh, I'll just jump off, meaning of life. Uh, meaning of life. I'll jump off the, uh, of the, of the, of the wonderful thing Charles just gave us, uh, which is basically that y- what we are seeing are is this sort of – changing of business to uh, having a social mission uh and we're seeing that more and more commonly uh and i think that is that is a positive trend and right now in the world any positive trend that is a is is both rare and (laughs) welcome yeah and i say no matter you know what people think about the science as long as they're on board with you know creating a cleaner energy economy you know is it with reference to these numbers we were looking at i don't care what they believe as long as that we agree what the solution should be they can come to that conclusion for whatever darn reason they please can i can i throw one more thing in everybody listening turn your lights off you're running on nuclear power And that's where we'll have to end it so much. Thank you so much, Charles. Hi to Gwai is at uh, Hot Docs. Two more showings this weekend. Don't miss it. Other than that, if anything you missed, any information, links you want to do, or any of the articles, uh, go to greenmajority.ca later for the show post. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Folks, we'll have a good green week and see you next time.